And as I call in the east, I walk into the stream. And as I call in the south, I bring water to my mouth. And as I call in the west, the creek swallows my chest. And as I call in the north, I am swallowed by her source. Hello everyone and welcome to Rio Cosmico, a podcast about healing. The Rio Cosmico podcast is brought to you by Rio Cosmico Homestead, our seasonal ceremonial microvillage and library of earth magic. I'll be your host, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman, and as always, gracias, hahom, goramayagat. Thank you for listening. Hi folks, it's me, Erin, and I'm here today with visual alchemist, art and family therapist, seed keeper, and storyteller, Zena Carlota Pearl. Welcome, Zena, and thank you so much for your yes to being here. I've really been looking forward to this conversation today. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. So I was thinking, because you are a storyteller, maybe we can start at the beginning. I'd love to hear a little bit about your early childhood, like, for example, who your ancestral people are, where and how you grew up, or what kind of challenges you faced early in life that served to help shape who you are today. Thank you. I was not expecting that. (laughs) So my name is Zena Carlota Pearl Allen, and I'm daughter of Irma Pearl and granddaughter of Benny Pearl and Maybell. My family is African-American, and they arrived to the United States, to North America, through the transatlantic slave trade. I think that my deepest roots are in Oakland, California, in the Bay Area, in Ohlone Territory. My family has been there for about five generations. That's where my father's from. But before that, we come from Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama, Texas. Those are some of my people. My people are are Southern Black folks who migrated to Northern California and made home. In terms of my early childhood and and challenges that I may have faced, I guess I feel like the most fair way to describe the way that I grew up is I feel like that there was a tremendous amount of beauty and magic and simultaneously that was really balanced out with a tremendous amount of grief. And so I grew up in a home where what was presented to the outside and the performance of who we were as a family was not actually like intact on the inside. There was a lot of, I think, like disassociation between living the truth of what our family was in actuality, and then trying to find ways to fit that or hide that or protect that from the external world that I lived in. What's also true is I grew up swimming in rivers and catching frogs and playing in creeks and being barefoot in the woods. My life was pretty nomadic. So living between different parents and often sometimes moving from state to state on an annual basis. So I feel like the momentum has really continued to carry, to carry my life forward. Thank you for that. I think a lot of people can relate to that idea of the way that 
family is to a certain degree a performance art project you want to as a mother like i want to protect my son's nervous system from the chaos of the world and also a lot of energy goes into that and then there are different reasons that people are performing something and so i do think that resolving that difference is a big part of what it means to kind of really grow up thank you for just touching on that acknowledging yeah. that and i do feel the water the rivers and and streams in your presence <laughs> when we first met it was an artist camp at lightning in a bottle i was there giving a talk about entheogenics and goddess worship and you were there performing with an amazing group called climbing poetry you shared your music project with me that day and so i first knew you through your music since we're on this reclaiming path which i kind of think means like we come from broken lineages and we're dedicated to respectfully attempting to unearth and reweave that which was burned or buried or suppressed, whatever is ready to be unearthed, maybe I should mm. say, uh, within mm. our families and cultures. And so we're really moved to know that your journey with your music and specifically the way you've chosen to learn to play a traditional instrument from your ancestry as this bridge to deeper connection and embodiment, some of the mastery of your ancestors, like that's just really touching having heard the music first and just enjoyed it and been like, oh, wow, she's really good. This is really good. And just kind of like moving on, we consume so much content in that way. So circling back around and learning about how you're also on a different but similar journey and that you've gone in through the Quora. I was just hoping that you would share with us for our listeners like what's the Quora? how did it find its way into your life what challenges have you navigated to come into intimacy with this skill what are you learning through that path yeah oh, thank you for that question so the Quora found me i was working at amoeba records in los angeles and was just falling in love with music in a way that I hadn't before. I had played other instruments growing up. I had never heard the Kora before, and it was on a record of this, a singer from India named Sushila Raman. And I think from the moment that I heard it, I knew that I wanted to play it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was from. And, and truthfully, I maybe have only experienced something like this once where I felt really clearly that I was being called into something, into relationship with something in a way that was pretty undeniable. And how that manifested was a few years after discovering it, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a voice in my head that said like, you have to play this instrument and you have to go to West Africa and get up because you're going and like and get ready. My body was kind of had this like electric feeling in it and I spent the rest of that morning which was probably starting around like 3 a.m. until I don't know maybe 5 6 7 calling people <laughs> and like making this like grand pronouncement that I was going to I was going to West Africa and I was going to learn how to play this instrument. I mean, I will say initially, like I fell in love with the instrument just sonically without knowing its context or its lineage or its history. 
And I feel like it has been a really beautiful and also like sometimes difficult courtship. I don't want to subscribe to the belief that like things that are meaningful to us have to be difficult. But I will say that, yeah, the relationship hasn't been easy then. And there's so many, there's so many factors, which are like my own internal system and like relationship to discipline and devotion. And then also the cultural lineage and how, how do I belong myself to that as an African-American who was not born in West Africa, regardless of that being my ancestral lineage and all of the ways that the music allows me to connect and then all of the ways that I may not directly be able to connect to the culture outside of music. A little bit of context about what the Kora is, is it's, it's a 21-string bridge harp. It originates from the Malian Empire during the 13th century in what is now known as like as present day Gambia. And as much as the music has been an important part of my life, I feel like symbolically, I think of the Kora as a vessel. And so what it's holding, and maybe this actually like speaks to this idea of like of creativity as a container for so many things, but it's made out of a gourd and it's covered in cowhide and it's a vessel. It holds memory and it holds the oral tradition of lineages in West Africa. The songs and the stories are passed down from father to son and mother to daughter. And there's only specific families that play that instrument. There's a lot of cultural containment around the practice of playing that instrument. I feel a little bit like I'm rambling. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm like, rah. I was right there with you, feeling the instrument as a vessel and a bridge yeah. and something that has a lot of specificity around it, like a lot of lineage. It's not just, I mean, I think probably nothing is just an instrument, but we don't frequently get to hear about the instruments of our ancestors and how much intelligence and culture was layered into every aspect of what it looks like and what it sounds like essentially it's a container for stories and it's it's a container for memories and i think more than anything that is the thread that has been woven into me through learning like the practice it's not it's not necessarily like the specific songs that i've learned or the songs that i've written or like are performing it's more like it's a teaching that these practices are containers for memory. And that's the thread that I get to like take forward with me because my relationship to the instrument has changed and like, and continues to change, but that thread is still strong. I remember when I was in college, I learned that there's three kinds of memory and it's like the memories that I'm gonna not remember even all three, but it was like, there's, oh, there's like my short-term memory and my long-term memory. And mm -hmm. then, there's the memory of if you and I experienced something together and mm -hmm. we were friends for 20 years and 20 years from now, you're like, remember that day that we had those lychees in the sun? And I'm like, I have no memory of that at all. That your memory of it is actually technically considered part of my memory. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's a third kind of memory that I have. And so like that kind of speaks to what you're talking about where there is so much information 
that we consider to be lost to us that isn't lost to us, but it's only lost to us if we are trying to go it alone and do it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we connect and rebuild relationships or tend relationships, then they come out these things. It's actually something I'm really passionate about. That's very touchy terrain where we hold a multicultural prayer space. And sometimes there are people in that space that are holding memories for you that are not of your bloodline. You don't have those features or those facts third dimensional facts, the DNA, but for one reason or another, their path brought them through this terrain that maybe your ancestors also traversed and they, mm. something stuck with them or, or they had a guidance to carry something with them, perhaps to bring it to you in this moment. And that can get very sensitive for people about who they want to receive those shared memories from, but our work being under the banner of active culture family, like I can't deny my own truth that we're all a family and we're all holding pieces for each other. So yeah, yeah. thank you for just bringing that, that vessel for memory concept into the space, because I do think that all of the things I call elements of culture, food, music, dance, dress, these elements, they all are yeah. holding I've been working on on some new kinds of art that I have not shared yet <laughs> publicly, but one of the pieces is called Seed Keepers. And it's looking at the ways at which, because I, I've been farming and like and learning about farming for about the last four years. And so learning a lot about like seed tending and keeping and planting and sowing and harvesting, but also looking at symbolically what are the seeds that we are holding like within our bodies or within our dances within our music mm -hmm. within our stories within our foods and how these all of these things all of these spirits have the capacity to invoke memory and also it's interesting like i had made this note about there's this really beautiful book called Fugitive Pieces, um, written by this woman, Anne Michaels. And it's about, I believe it's a young Polish boy who's, he's rescued from the Nazis from this Greek geologist. And he takes him out of his land and he brings him to Greece. But one of the premises in the book that I thought was really profound was the idea is that when you lose language, you can lose memory because the words that are needed to describe and hold and be a vessel for a memory, when the language is lost for that, like the ability to describe it and then fully embody it and remember it in retrospect can also be lost or like, or diminished. And I think about these things, creativity, whether it's making or singing or dancing or cooking, these are a sort of language. When these are diminished or broken or lost, then the memory that they hold and the lineages that they hold can also like become a little bit fractured. Mm -hmm. I think the exploration of, of language in general and the idea that all of these things are languages, I really find that book, The Five Love Languages, really useful. And when I first read that, had a partner that we we're going to read it together and like learn something about how we could support each other and speak to each other in a language that we can actually understand at the end of it they were like i don't get it because i feel like you want all of these and and i was like yeah 
why wouldn't I? If there's all these different ways to say I love you and you love me, like what else are we doing here? Just expressing it in all the ways possible. This is just a roadmap for how to do that. And so what you just described around the elements of culture is like, it's another roadmap for how to do that. I've had because of the kind of work that I do and the kind of magical sisterhood that I cultivate, I've had the opportunity to bring in elders specifically for if I'm hosting something at someone's house, like bring in elders that I know have pieces for them as a love language and say like, I know that this is, you don't even know what's coming, but you're going to be so happy at this campfire (laughs) and have some of those women cook for my ancestors, like go out of their way to find the Puerto Rican food markets in San Diego and look for the right kind of rice and cook for my dead grandmothers. And it, it is a really incredible kind of love that is exchanged and shared through some of these other languages. And it it is kind of like, I'm about that. I want to be playing in that terrain with people that want to play in that way. Because, you know, it's one thing to sort of, for me to learn to make some of the dishes that my grandmother made that I did not get a chance to learn from her. But it's just, you know, it's another level when someone else is like, because I am in relationship with you and I want to just love you on all the levels possible. And I know that that means loving your ancestors too and making them laugh and smile and helping them to know that I'm an ally and this is how I'm going to do it. So I think food is definitely like at the forefront for me as like, a very accessible way because I'm mothering right now on the clock, on the job responsible for this person and you have to cook. So I can sort of merge paths, but music is one of the most healing things for my body when it's time for me to not be like on call and on. It's time for me to receive. So it's just wonderful to be in your presence and hear just the different strategies towards the same visions. Mm. Yeah. So I do want to circle back a little bit. You shared with me in the past some of the challenges you've had just around navigating Mm -hmm. things like being a woman and sexuality and other taboos as they relate to this instrument and this this journey you've been on. And Mm -hmm. I find that to be true for most people as a what's in the way of connecting with their ancestors in in a positive way is that most of our stories have been rewritten many times by governments and to serve different political agendas for thousands of years. And so there's this, you have to kind of be strong to go into those spaces and like clean the stories off and say like, what's the real, what was the original story or the truth underneath like how it's being told to me now? So I would just love to hear how did that show up for you? And how did you navigate? How do you navigate? And what have you learned from that process of being a woman and being somebody who I feel to be like embodied, sensual person in this space of this traditional instrument? Mm. That's a really good question. It feels like a story that is very true and has been very relevant. And I'm sure has a lot of maybe like helpful information or like or guidance like for others that might be navigating the same thing but it also 
I feel like the way that I'm creating now and also the tools and the instruments that I'm that I'm working with don't really feel like they're not in the same space. They're not in the same sphere. Like my relationship to Cora and like Cora music, I guess it just doesn't really feel as relevant right now to like what I'm doing in my life or like how I'm creating, to be honest. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, okay, like I guess I could go into that, but it doesn't really feel like it's what's present in my life right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I make a lot of mental connections that other people are like, I don't see a connection between these things. So we'll see what comes out. But I think what you're saying kind of relates to something I really wanted to talk to you about, because I was a public school art teacher in Crown Heights, Brooklyn as my first Mm -hmm. career out of college. And I left that position and that trajectory because I felt really clear, like I've been deep in this experiment for several years. And these people do not need to learn art history. And they don't mm. even necessarily need to learn. They don't even know who they are or what they have to say yet. So like, it's not even self-expression. Like they need art therapy. And I am not trained as an art therapist. And I'm just in here, like kind of trying to do that. Either I'm going to go back to school as an art therapist, or I'm going to do something else. But this is not that what I'm doing right now does not have potential to be effective toward what it's saying it's trying to do. And so knowing that you're an art therapist, I really wanted to talk to you about this idea that came up as a topic in our last interview, which was with my Taino elder, Erica Mateo. And we were just talking about what is the invitation for a bloodline that was nearly a successful genocide the story even to present day many people you open a book and it says the Taino people were completely exterminated by Christopher Columbus you know and it's like they're just we weren't the internet has given us this invitation this ability to find each other all over the world and there's really this like reweaving happening but just kind of like where do we go from we're coming back together after that being just totally scattered because the island's so small and everything that happened to it was so much. So we're everywhere. We look all different. We speak all different languages. What do we do now? Where we got to, I think, in that conversation was I find Erica as a grandmother to be wise and powerful and strong and all of the things that I wanted a grandmother, but always like surprisingly irreverent and sassy and creative and really creatively engaged. And her daughter's a musician and music expression is very like explosively effusive. So my takeaway was kind of like that, that just everyone says you're dead. So you might as well just fucking create whatever the fuck you want. Just go. And something about like running that creative raw primal creative energy through your body, I think is healing, but not in the traditional sense of like you're in the hospital and you're getting salves and you're like being checked on every day, but more like catapulting you out into the cosmos or something or like into the void and where you have all of these creative resources and running the energy through your body like rewires everything and takes you somewhere else so how you're saying yes i was in this place and i was encountering some of the i don't know if it's correct to say like politics or traumas of being a woman or different beliefs and religious beliefs and whatever 
it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like it was serving me creatively. I didn't know how to, what the invitation was, but then I just got down with my own creative self and it took me somewhere so entirely expanded and different that that no longer seems to even really be like the thing I want to talk about today. Like, is this like a correct assessment? Yeah, that's a perfect assessment. I think that that's exactly like how I feel. And there was actually something I had thought when we first started talking, I was like, okay, I want to talk about the story of Vasilisa, who like goes mm-hmm. to Baba Yaga's house. So Vasilisa is a like a Russian folktale. And I first came into contact with it through the work of Clarissa Pinkolestis through Women Who Run With the Wolves. And the lens that she looks at it is through initiation. And I actually wanted to kind of look at it through, I guess, the perspective of creativity. And so Vasilisa is, there's different stories of Vasilisa the beautiful or Vasilisa the brave, Vasilisa the wise, depending on who tells it. But there's a young girl and her mother dies and her father's left alone. And her father eventually remarries to a woman who is evil, quote unquote, and has two daughters who are also like very unkind to Vasilisa. And one day her father leaves town and she's left alone with her stepmother and her two daughters. And what happens is that there's a candlelight in the house and they decide to like to put the candles out and they send Vasilisa to go get fire. And she's sent off into the woods to Baba Yaga's house. What happens is that Vasilisa was left with a doll that her mother gave her. And this doll sits in her pocket and it tells her when to go left, like when to go right. I don't want to get into the full story because honestly, I don't feel like I'm going to do it full justice. But what I wanted to look at was the idea of this doll that Vasilisa has inherited, like from her mother. When I thought of this tale, I thought, well, what if her mother carved this doll by hand or what if she sewed it by hand? And I was thinking about what are the things that we make, that we generate, that we conjure and that we leave like for the next generation. So Vasilisa has inherited this doll that gives her direction, like gives her intuition, but it was created by her mother. And it's like, it's this creative inheritance, right? And then in addition to that, it's what do we generate? What do we conjure for ourselves that allows us to make inform decisions to live authentically to discern what works for us and what doesn't and how that gets to be left for the next generation and so i was looking at it kind of just like this doll more symbolically as this artifact and this totem and a symbol that allows us to discern and like and gives us momentum and just like we were talking about earlier that is our foods that is our dances that is our stories that is our songs and those are the things that we get to carry in our pockets that help guide the way so that's something that i was i was thinking about when you talk about your elder and generationally when we allow ourselves to like to fully embody the presence of spirit and like and our lineages and our offerings and our gifts and how that empowers us but that also it can create literal physical artifacts that we get to to give to the next generation, right? And then they get to carry that. And it acts as these things for me are also like reminders. Neba del mar, una 
Vasilisa Myth, and Zena's referencing of it has piqued your interest, you can head over to our library of Earth Magic on Patreon today through the link in our show notes to hear me reading Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Este's version of the classic Russian folktale. I personally love being read to, so I'm imagining this as a relaxing bedtime story and natural sedative to include in your down-tempo lifestyle. And if you're feeling nourished by Zena's meandering, sensual, and story-rich reclaiming journey, we remind you that this episode is part one of a two-part conversation, and I invite you to stay tuned for episode four, Decolonizing Our Creative Process, Seeking Refuge, and Creating Home. In part two, Zena shares with us her practice of restoring as restorying, how the work of decolonization looks different for everyone, and how things we may think of as creative or artistic challenges may actually be manifestations of internalized white supremacy. In the meantime, you can visit the show notes for this episode to find all the places where you can connect with Zena's work, including www.zenacarlotta.com and at Zena Carlotta over on Instagram. As always, thank you for listening. It's a pleasure getting well with you.